Matthew 1, 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here preaching with uh, for you. Uh, Many of you have known me over the past few years, and this is my second last week of you. I'll be here for Christmas. So if you haven't met me before, I'd love to meet you um, and love to get to know you, but our time will be quite short. <laughs> uh, so yeah, as I dig into God's word here, how about I pray? So please pray with me. Dear Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that through it we come to know you, that we can meet Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And so I pray now as we look at him, uh, that you'd be working by your spirit in our hearts to know him. In Jesus' name, amen. So Christmas, it's a time of celebration, right? You get all the cold meats, all the salads, I mean, at least that's what I remember from Christmas, minus the salads, I don't really eat those. But it's such a great time of celebration. Uh, I remember as a kid, when my family was a lot bigger, we'd have like the extended family, all together, 30 plus of us. It was great. Uh, and everyone is just giving out gifts. It's just such a joyous time. But I think many of us have actually forgotten what Christmas is all about. If you asked your neighbour, why do they celebrate Christmas, they'd probably say something along the lines of, Christmas is about remembering and reflecting on the really good things in life with the people you love most. If they've had a bit of a Christian upbringing or a bit of a Christian influence in their life, they might say that Christmas is about celebrating the birth of Jesus. But I think less and less these days, people actually celebrate Christmas for that reason. So, does that matter? I mean, does it really matter that we celebrate Christmas because of Jesus' birth? Isn't it just a really good excuse for a holiday? I mean, we love a good excuse for a holiday in Australia, right? Any reason that we can just put up our boots, put up our bags or our computers and just go to the pub, hang out with family, we'll take it, right? Is Christmas just another one of those? 
Or is it just a marketing ploy by big companies to get us to spend ridiculous amounts of money on gifts that people probably might not like and then re-gift to other people? Is that what Christmas is about? Is Jesus' birth really that important? Well, here in Matthew's account of Jesus' life, he's trying to convince us otherwise. Jesus, he really thinks Jesus is that important. That there really is a reason to celebrate. And I reckon Matthew has two significant pieces of evidence. And the first one he gives us is Jesus' father. And the second is Jesus' name. So let's take a look at the first piece of evidence that Matthew shows us. And Matthew's trying to show us that Jesus is the legitimate son of Joseph. That is his first piece of evidence. And Matthew does this by showing us that Joseph is the father of Jesus. Oh. Wait, no. He actually says that God's the father. Look there in verse 20. Look there in verse 20. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The child inside Mary's womb is from the Holy Spirit. God is the father of this child. God is Jesus' father, not Joseph. Does this mean that Jesus isn't Joseph's son? It would seem so. And if that's true, then the family tree at the start of this chapter must be wrong, right? Because this says that Joseph is the father. But if you remember last week, Micah helpfully showed us that this family tree, this genealogy, is actually quite accurate. So how can Jesus be both the son of Joseph and the son of God? Well, it's because of what the angel commands Joseph to do. The angel commands him to do something quite special. The angel commands Joseph to legally adopt Jesus. The angel tells him to do, do this by doing two things, two things. To take Mary as his wife and to name the child. To take Mary as his wife and to name the child. By doing these two things, Jesus becomes a legitimate son of Joseph. Jesus isn't born to some mistress of Joseph. He's born to his legitimate wife. Therefore, Jesus is a legitimate son. But Joseph also names the child. In naming it, he shows ownership. He recognizes that this is his son. He declares, this is my son, my heir. See, even to this day, parents still have the right to name their child. We don't wait till children are old enough and then they get to name themselves. It's a privilege that parents get. It's a right. They name their children. No one else gets it. Unless for some reason you've sold the right for someone else to name your child. Maybe you lost a bet to a maid or something. So my name, it's Samuel, right? My full name. Many of you might know me by Sam. My parents weren't very fond of my friends calling me Sam. They had to kind of be warmed up to the idea, but they'd never really liked it. They named me Samuel. They were always going to call me Samuel. Because that is the name that they gave me. 
That's their right, as my parents. And Joseph, well, he's given this right to name Jesus. By giving Jesus his name, Joseph declares that this, Jesus, is my son. So, who is the father of Jesus? Well, God on one hand, as the one from whom he's come, and Joseph as his adopted father. But why does this matter? Why does Matthew make a point of this? Why does it matter that Jesus be a legitimate son of Joseph? Well, look at what the angel says to Joseph. He says there, Joseph, son of David. Notice how the angel addresses him. Joseph, son of David. The angel deliberately brings up Joseph's relation to King David. But why does he do this? Why mention him? Well, it's because of the promise God made to David. See, so in 2 Samuel chapter 7, you might be familiar with the passage, right? Back when the Jewish nation was ruled by kings, God promised King David that his descendants will reign over his kingdom forever. This is one of a few massive promises that God makes. A promise of a king who will reign forever. And Joseph, well, he's one of David's descendants. This is why it's so important that Jesus be a legitimate son of Joseph. Because if Jesus isn't a son of Joseph, if he isn't a legitimate son, then Jesus isn't the Messiah. He isn't God's king. Jesus must be a descendant of David to be the Messiah. So, Joseph did take Mary as his wife, and he named his child Jesus. In doing so, he legally adopts Jesus, makes him his own son. This makes Jesus a true heir of the promise made to David. And this is cause for celebration, right? See, God's people have been waiting centuries for the Messiah to come. They've been scattered from their homeland, without a king, without a nation, for over 500 years. And finally, the one who will come and save them is here. But why does that matter to us? 2,000 years later, why should we care? Because he is the king who brings blessing not just to the Jews, but to all people. So look back at the start of the chapter there. In verse 1, Matthew also mentions that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. And like David, God made a massive promise to Abraham as well. This promise said that one of Abraham's descendants would be a blessing to the whole world. So being the legitimate descendant of Joseph, Jesus is also a legitimate descendant of Abraham. Therefore, the promise made to Abraham is also fulfilled in Jesus' birth. Because Jesus is a legitimate descendant of David and Abraham, it makes him God's promised king who brings blessing to all people. But how was Jesus a blessing 
to the whole world. How is he a blessing to the whole world? Well, I want us to keep this question in the back of our minds because I think Matthew addresses it in his second piece of evidence. So if you are the type to take notes, maybe write it down, right? So remember, how is Jesus a blessing to the whole world? We'll keep that in mind, right? As we turn now to Matthew's second piece of evidence that he gives us. He shows us Jesus' name. What does Jesus' name mean, right? But when we come to this, there seems to be an issue. In verse 21, it says that the child is to be called Jesus. But in verse 23, Matthew quotes Isaiah, which says the child to be born of the virgin will be named Emmanuel. Why does Matthew quote this passage if Jesus doesn't even end up being named Emmanuel? Well, to figure this out, Let's go to Isaiah. So if you've got your Bibles there, it'd be great to turn to Isaiah because we're going to read through a bit of it, okay? So in Isaiah 7, I'm going to do a brief summary of the story. At this point in Israel's history, Ahaz is king over the southern kingdom called Judah. The northern tribe of Israel has been invaded by Assyria. And now Ahaz faces invasion from Aram, led by King Rezin, and the new inhabitants of northern Israel, led by King Pekah. So these two nations, they're going to invade Ahaz, they're going to invade Judah, and he's going to face sure destruction without help. It's two on one, simple math. So Isaiah, the prophet of God, he comes to him and he tells him, ask God for a sign. Ask God for a sign that he will rescue you from your enemies. But Ahaz refuses to ask God for help. He instead sends a letter to the king of Assyria, the biggest, most powerful nation at the time. He goes to him for help instead. Ahaz rejects God's salvation. And it's at this point where Isaiah gives Ahaz this prophecy. So if you've got your Bibles open, read there from verse 13. Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. This child, born of a virgin, is a sign from God. A sign from God to Ahaz. But what kind of sign is it? Is it a good sign? Or is it a bad sign? Is it like the silver lining on grey clouds? Or is it like your hair going frizzy on an overcast day like today? Are thunder, storms, lightning, are they on the way? Is this child a sign of Ahaz's destruction or his salvation? Well, in verse 16, we see it's a prophecy of destruction on Rezin and Pekah, the two foreign kings. They will be destroyed. 
So maybe this is a good sign, right? But the prophecy ends with God bringing the king of Assyria to Judah to bring destruction on Ahaz. This child, Emmanuel, is both a sign of salvation and destruction to Ahaz. But the name Emmanuel means God with us. How can the sign of God's presence be a sign of destruction? How can this be? Well, if you're an ally of God, his presence is a very good thing. If you look at the events of Exodus, right? God saves his people from the tyranny of Egypt by his mighty presence. But if you're an enemy of God, his presence brings only destruction. When the Philistines took the Ark of God into their camp, which was a sign of God's presence, the temple gods were destroyed and their people began to get sick and die. God's presence with his enemies, well, that only means destruction. And Ahaz, he rejected God. He became an enemy of God. So to have a sign of God's presence with him wasn't a sign of his salvation, but a sign of his destruction. So that's Isaiah 7. That's the prophecy that Mark quotes here. He quotes it because he believes Jesus fulfills this prophecy. And if Jesus does indeed fulfill this prophecy, what kind of sign is Jesus? Is he a sign of salvation or destruction? Jesus is a sign of salvation. Indeed, Jesus is a sign of salvation. That's why the angel tells Joseph to name him Jesus, not Emmanuel, because the name Emmanuel, it's a little bit vague, right? God's presence with us, it could mean our destruction, or it could mean our salvation. We just don't know. But there's no such confusion in the name Jesus. Because Jesus' name means God saves. God saves. Jesus is our salvation. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. But he isn't a sign of our destruction. Jesus is a sign of our salvation. But only for his people. He's only a sign of salvation for his people. Turn back to Matthew and look there in verse 21. See what the angel says about Jesus. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus will save his people, only his people. To those who reject Jesus, to those who reject God's salvation, Jesus is actually only a sign of destruction. King Ahaz, well, he rejected God's salvation. And God's promised ruin came on him. If we reject Jesus, God's salvation, if we reject him, Jesus is not a sign of our salvation, but only our destruction. 
Now, remember the question I wanted you to keep in your mind, right? How was Jesus a blessing to the whole world? It seems quite important now, right? If to some people Jesus is a sign of destruction, how can he be a blessing to everyone? How can Jesus be a sign of destruction but also be a blessing? Because in the destruction of Jesus' body on the cross, salvation from sin is available to all people. Jesus became a sign of destruction so that all people, all nations, may find salvation in him. See, no one is excluded from having salvation. It isn't just for the Jews. It isn't just for Anglos, or Hispanics, or Africans, or Asians. Jesus' salvation is for all people. That's why 94% of all countries in the world celebrate Christmas in, in some way. 184 countries celebrate a baby boy who was born in an animal feeding trough, died on a cross, and rose three days later. That message has lasted 2,000 years and celebrated around the entire globe because it's a message of salvation for all people. So no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you're from, if you put your trust in Jesus, if you give your life to him, he can save you from your sins. And this is a good reminder that there are many, many people to whom Jesus is only a sign of destruction. 184 countries might celebrate Christmas, observe Christmas, but there ain't 8 billion people who are Christians in the world. That'd be great, but it's just not true. And of those people, many of them are our friends and family, our work colleagues, our own children, our parents. Use the great opportunity that Christmas provides to share Jesus as your sign of salvation. You could invite them to Christmas church. We've got plenty of services coming up, which would be perfect to invite someone to. And when you're eating food, having lunch, dinner with family, friends, want to give thanks for the food. It might seem a little bit awkward, right? Like they don't pray, but want to give it a go. Because I think it sets the agenda that Christmas is about celebrating Jesus. Because Christmas is a time of celebration. It really is. Joy to the world, right? The Messiah has come. The King of the world is born. The Saviour of the world has come. It's a blessing to all nations. So enjoy your time with family and friends. Eat great food. Give out loads of presents. Celebrate the birth of Jesus. Because the one who takes away the sins of the world has come. Let's pray. God,
Thank you for sending Jesus into the world to save us from our sins. Thank you that Jesus really is God with us. So we pray that his presence with us wouldn't be one of destruction, but of salvation. Help us to share the great news that Jesus' coming isn't a sign of destruction for those who put their trust in him. Help us to be bold as we make invites to church. And please be at work in the hearts of those closest to us. Soften their hearts so that they'll accept our invites and come and meet Jesus, the one who died for their sins. And it's in his great name we ask all these things. Amen.